Well, good morning, good morning. My name is Matt, and I am one of the pastors here, and it is great to be with you this morning on this Ministry Fair Sunday. Um, today's uh, sermon and uh, is brought to you by um, my kind of consistent cough that I can't get rid of, so it might show up in the sermon, and also apparently by Vibe Kayaks. So... Um, Josh, Josh Thomas and very generously let us use one of his kayaks for illustrative purposes, and so I said I'd give him a shout-out for that purpose. Um, take a look at it after the service if you wish. So if this is your first Sunday, we're super glad you're with us. This is like an exciting time in the life of our church. It's the moment where kind of everything begins, everything kicks off. Uh, like there's this like energy and electricity about everyone back in school and our lives somewhat realigned around maybe some form of normalcy, maybe. Um, and so today, one of the things we're going to get to do is to have an opportunity after the service to hang out together, to eat some food, and to kind of think and talk about what are the ways in which we want to engage in the future of this coming year as a church in service, in connection, uh, in belonging to one another in community, as well as in ways of being equipped uh, for the work of ministry that God has for you. So it's a pretty cool Sunday. So if it's your first time, we're so glad you're here. Please don't see this as a week where you need to like run off. We actually have food enough for everyone. So please stick around after the service. We'd love Love to connect with you. The little orange card on every chair is your means and opportunity to fill that out. You can drop it in either one of the offering boxes by the sides there, the black boxes is offering, or by the back door, and we would love to connect with you um, around the table or around one of the booths out in the gathering space. So, big Sunday, good Sunday, pretty exciting time. Um, all right, I'm going to jump in. If... Um, we call this Vision Sunday because it's kind of the time in which we talk about the future. We've been thinking as an elder board and as a leadership about what does God have for us. He's walked, God's walked us through a whole bunch of things in the last uh, three years, last five years, last ten years. And, and in particular, it seems like this is a unique time in which God has prepared us to move into his future for us. And as we thought about that, as we thought about what does that look like and what does that mean, we've come to think about Really, there's, there's two kinds of people, there's two kinds of ways of moving in the Christian life, and there's probably more other ways of looking at it, but this is the way we've been thinking about it in light of where kind of the world is, where our world is. That there's two ways to live, and if you're a 21st century Christian in, well, especially the Bible Belt, uh, you're living probably in one of two different kind of contexts. Um, this first one over here I'm going to call the cultural Christian context. So I'm going to take my place where it belongs. This is the, oh, wait, hold on. It's not a, without your phone? Come on. <laughs> Come on. So this is, um, I'll, I'll hold it here since, you know, I should be distracted in this moment. But the uh, the cultural Christian um, is someone who sits in the kind of two-inch deep water of, of, of Jesus' power and purpose. It's not, it's not that he doesn't exist or that he's not there. He's just, he's just nicely contained right here. And it's, it's an inch deep, maybe two, and there's a little bit of splashing around. Like, you know, like Jesus is real. He's, he's good. He's done some good things for me in the past. And, and I want to I experience, hold on. I want to experience him. I, I want to know what his purpose is for me. For me, but um, but that's that's it, right? It's it's a life where we're more drawn, or as much drawn into the comfort of, of what's going on, into the well, into the calm, cozy feel of what it might mean to be a, a Christian. And I splash around a little bit, and then I kind of just about other things. Also, it's it's really a it's a dual life of of a little bit of Jesus and a bunch of other things, whether it's materialism or 
or, or some form of individualism. And, um, well, it's, it's a stagnant life. Certainly stagnant waters. Not adding much to this. Maybe stirring it around every once in a while, but if you've ever left a pool out too long with stagnant water, you know what you get, maggots. So it's maybe not fresh water and maybe diluted a little bit. This is the unbothered, unencumbered life. And it is the primary invitation of our cultural context to be, to be good Christians, to have, a, to have a nice God who wants us to be nice people, who are going to have a nice Christian life, unbothered, unencumbered, untroubled, easy. That, that's, that's what it means to, to really live alive, to get most of what you can out of the world. But we believe there's another way. We believe there's a no phone. We believe there is a different kind of living. Um, I've gotten in this once. All right, nothing embarrassing, nothing stable. But as we talked about the, the, the water over there, the, the, the water of, of Christ's power and purpose, this, this small amount that we have just enough of, I want you to imagine, if you will, be, being in, in this kind of a context, except not it's a little bit of water, but actually pushing yourselves into the very stream, into the very flow, into the very life of Christ for you, his power and his purpose that is moving. I'm talking Colorado River kind of moving. Real life, real power, deep purpose. That's the life we've envisioned. That, that's, the, that's the way in which we imagine the people of God because we believe that's actually what the Spirit of God through the Scriptures invites the people of God to live like, to be alive, to move into this kind of a context and to be doing so with, with courage, believing that Christ is being formed in us and as he's formed in us, that we start manifesting his very life everywhere we go. But that's actually the picture of what it means to be alive in Christ, actually what it means to be part of what he's doing, not part of what we're making happen. We want to have that kind of life manifested through us in ways, in ways that, that change the trajectory of people's lives around us because of how committed and given we are to him. This is not an unbothered, unencumbered life. Jesus won't have it that way. Not, not, on, not on this journey. No, this is, this is the kind of life that is forged and formed by a biblical process of transformation. It's where we come alive through the scriptures and through prayer and through the kind of commitment to the life that Jesus is inviting us into in a way that, that changes us. And, it, and it's a costly life at times. And it's, it's a life that we don't have all the control over, that, but we're invited into it. It's not cozy and it's not easy. But we're, we're people who are putting aside that kind of thinking, that kind of living, and, and giving ourselves to be the kind of people who are awakened to what God has made us for. 
that know why we're getting out of bed in the morning, who have a clear sense of purpose because Christ is the one who's giving us purpose and a clear sense of calling because Christ has given us our call and we've entered into it in a way that allows us to be more and more alive to the ways in which he's formed us, made us. And as he's more formed in us, the more we give ourselves away. And the more we give ourselves away, the more we realize how much more he must be formed in us. There's two ways of living. And one of the amazing things we think about when we talk about this, oh, careful. Joel, I told you that was going to happen. Is that the only way this is really possible, the only way in which we're going to be the kind of people who are, who are giving ourselves to breathing life into our kids in a season and a time where there's, there's very little hope or where we kind of become the kind of people who are pursuing our spouses, who are, who are allowing the scriptures to form us, who are having common, ordinary, regular conversations with God about what our life is like. The only way that's ever going to happen is if we have our eyes on, on Jesus. So if you've been here for a little bit of time, if you've been here for a lot of time, you know that we find ourselves always going back to this place, to the life of Christ and to the degree in which that's alive in us, to that degree we become changed people, which is why for us as a church we always think about 2 Corinthians 3.18 as kind of the center of how we view life. It says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one image, I'm sorry, sorry, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. We're looking at Jesus as though a mirror, and we're being changed by him into the image of who he is. And that doesn't happen here. It only happens here. It only happens as we give ourselves fully and enter all the way in, believing he's got the truest, fullest, and best life for us. And so this year, as we think about becoming these kinds of people over time, as we think about moving into a long-term journey, a long-term story of being transformed by Christ, as we gaze at him, as we allow him to do the kind of work of forming his character in us and then pushing us out into the various spheres that he's invited us into, we want an active declaration of what that looks like by focusing our attentions, by, by engaging together and realizing this kind of vision for us over the years to come by spending one year, this coming year, focused in one area, and that is in the area of risk. Of being a people who are going to orient ourselves, being a church that's going to orient itself about being, about taking regular, consistent, faith-filled steps of courage. So why, why risk? Well, first of all, maybe what, what is risk? What does it mean? What, what, what is this talking about? One of the definitions of risk we're talking about faith-filled steps of courage, which is one of the ways we're articulating it. But one of the definitions is, is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. The, an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. And so I would say for the believer, it means listening to God and then following his leading into circumstances or actions that expose us to the possibility of loss or injury. What's wild is that we, we see this throughout the scriptures. Paul, while he was in prison, and he says in Philippians chapter 1, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
I want to live this way, he's saying. I want to finish this way. I don't know what the future holds. I'm in prison. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. That everything I am and do, will be on, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The meaning of Paul's life was to honor Christ, to be about what Christ was about, to enter into the processes that Christ has invited him into. That's what Paul's life was about, and that's the invitation of what our lives can, could, and must be about. But it was a life that had to be full of courage. It had to be full of courage because the experience of risk was very real. John Piper, in his little book, about a 50-page book called Risk is Right, says, if our single, all-embracing passion is to make much of Christ in life and death, and if the life that magnifies him most is the life of costly love, which the cross proves, then life is risk, and risk is right. To run from it, is, as only John Piper can say, to waste your life. So why, why is there such a thing as risk? Why is that? Well, candidly, it's because, because we don't know the future. I mean, at least I don't know the future. I don't know if you think you know the future. I know you think you maybe know the future for your kids, which is, you know, what we tell them to do and tell them this is how it's going to be. But we don't know. We're, we're, we're ignorant about what's about to come next week or tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen on the drive home today, right? If we knew exactly what was going to take place this week or next year, then, well, there really wouldn't be any risk. If you know exactly what's going to happen when you give constructive criticism to your boss in that meeting, well, then you know that you can give constructive criticism to your boss. But if you don't know, well, then it might be a risk. If you don't know exactly what it's going to be like if you confess something to your spouse, there's risk there because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. If you knew, well, it wouldn't really be much of a risk then at all, would it be? Now, if that was the case, we'd just simply weigh the options, decide which one is better, and move forward, right? But that's not how it is. Of course, incidentally, because not knowing the future is kind of the reality for being able to, something being a risk, God doesn't take risks, right? God knows the future. He knows what's coming. He actually knows what's going to happen when you give that criticism to your boss. He knows. He knows what's going to unfold when you confess something to your spouse. He knows what's going to happen when, when you give something unexpectedly and what the implications will be for you financially. He knows, he knows all those things. God doesn't take risks. Risks aren't real for him. But they are for you. And they are for me. See, unlike God, we're ignorant. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But it's impossible to escape in our world the reality that there is risk in almost everything we do. It's embedded in the very fabric of our lives, and we, we can't avoid it. As much as we try, and I would say that this is the life that seeks to try and avoid risk at all costs, to be as, as safe and, and as comfortable and as, and as easy and trying to avoid all the negative things, all the pains and all the sorrows and all the challenges. Which is one of the very things that God repeatedly does in the scriptures. He seeks to break us free from, from one author called the myth of safety. 
And he wants to draw us out of this enchantment of, of, of security because, because it's an illusion. It's an illusion that we are that safe and, and secure. That kind of safety doesn't really exist. Everywhere we turn, there's unknown. There's things beyond our control. And it's in the very places of that uncertainty and unknown that God invites us to trust him, to move with him, and to follow him. And we see it throughout, throughout the scriptures, right? It's, I mean, risk is throughout the entire Bible. God inviting people to take faith-filled steps of courage when they have no idea what's going to unfold. You see with the children of Israel, as, as, um, as Joshua steps into the promised land or is about to step into the promised land after meandering for 40 years, the giants in the land that they didn't want to go in to deal with back at Kadesh Barnea are just as big. Joshua saw them firsthand. He knows what they look like, and what does God say to him? Joshua 1.9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We're going to come back to this idea a little bit later. But, but be strong and courageous. I know, Joshua, you're, God's not saying this because it's already present tense. It's what he's struggling with. He's, answer, he's speaking to him where he really is. He's saying, don't be frightened and don't be dismayed. I know it doesn't look like it's something that you can do or that we can do. But be strong and courageous. Move into this uncertainty by faith with courage. We see it with Esther, right? The book of Esther is this, this, this woman who becomes queen and 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 basically through a whole sequence of events, all the Jews in the entire kingdom of, of the Medes and the Persians are going to be exterminated. And, and Esther is put in this way unique spot to be able to intercede with her husband, the king, except there's a law. that unless the king calls you and you come without being asked, you die. And so this is what Esther says as she talks to her uncle Mordecai. And she says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Listen, then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Make no mistake, Esther does not know what's about to happen. I know you read the rest of the story and you, you know what happens, so you're not entering that moment. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She's stepping into the uncertainty of risk and she's having to do so with courage, by faith. And of course, maybe in one of the most famous, at least kids' stories in the Bible that everyone knows. And remember, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We all know the song, if you remember it from a kid, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and they are, or is it Abednego? I, anyway, um, see, the song throws you off. And they've, they've, they've come into Babylon. They've been captive to, ba to Babylon. And, and they've, they've shown up, and, and they, were, they were put into this, like, opportunity to really rise to the top to become kind of leaders within the context of Babylon. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has given them this great spot and this great place, and he gives them an opportunity to eat all the best foods. And they say, no, 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 we're not going to eat the best foods. We're actually going to eat vegetables. And, um, and they say, you're not going to look so good, and you'll probably get killed. And they say, we're going to do it anyway. And so they do so, and they end up looking like the healthiest men of all the other but then just a couple chapters later, we find ourselves with these three being told that they must bow down to the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar that he's put out in the middle of a field. And everybody goes out there and everybody bows down except these three yokels. They won't bow down. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar draws them in, pulls them in, and says, okay, listen, clearly you don't understand how this works. You have to bow down to me because I'm like a god, and I have a stat- I put it out there, you, you have to. And this is what they say to him. Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Like, we're not going back out there. It's not worth it. For if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, which is the consequence of not bowing down. And listen, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set before us. They did not know that there would be a fourth person in the fiery furnace. Just like you don't know what's going to unfold at times when God invites you into things, when he calls you to do things that are surprising or unexpected or, or frankly, risky. When something is at stake, and of course, we see this throughout the, the New Testament, and, and Paul being maybe the best illustration of it. Obviously, other than Jesus, probably one of the more central characters in the entire New Testament, and the one who wrote the most of the New Testament is, is the Apostle Paul. And, it, and towards the end of Acts, we find Paul making this declaration about returning to Jerusalem. In Acts 20, verse 22, he says, And now, behold, I, Paul, am going to Jerusalem, listen, constrained by the Spirit, Spirit sending me, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Here's the thing. Paul never knew where the suffering and affliction was going to come from. He didn't know when it was going to, he didn't know what form it would take. All he knew is that maybe this is what's going to happen this time. Maybe it'll be at this hand. Maybe it'll be in this ways. Except he had a pretty good picture because he had kind of gone through a lot by that point. This is what I mean. He had a sense of what, could the, what this could mean, and off he goes nonetheless to Jerusalem. Listen to 2 Corinthians. This is just a snapshot of what Paul could imagine taking place for him in Jerusalem. He says, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What does this mean? It means that Paul didn't know what was going to hit him next. He, he had no idea. He didn't know if he would, he knew that he's not sure if he's going to be safe anywhere. He's not safe in the country. He's not safe in the, he's not in the safe in the city. He's not safe from Gentiles or from the Jews. No, but no one is safe. It's uncertainty all the way around. But I, I go to Jerusalem, he said. For Paul, the, the unbothered, unencumbered life of, of safety and security was, was not an option anymore. It didn't exist for him. Not anymore. 
but it does for us. John Piper again says, he says, as people, we, we become gripped by the, the beguiling enchantment of security, the, the notion, listen to this, the notion that there is a sheltered way of life apart from the path of God-exalting obedience. And this, this is the very reason why, why Paul tells us that the most fulfilling life, the, the good life we've been talking about in Mark, the most is a life that, that dies that it might gain, that lays itself down in order that it might receive what it otherwise never could, a level of freedom and power, re-receiving your life back after you've let it die. And he knew what he was talking about. Like Paul, we have these two same options, right? We have two options, the unbothered, unencumbered life, the retreat, the retreat into security and safety, or we have a life of risk that God is calling us into to follow him. It's important to talk about what risk isn't because, well, we're all prone to bend and twist things like this. And so one of the things that's very clear is this is not following God in the areas in which he's leading us as we listen to him. It's not a checklist. It's not a, um, it's not a campaign. It's not a scoreboard. It's also not, it's also not a belief that the life is supposed to be this ascetic Absence of any pleasure or joy or delight. That's not the case at all. That only the heart is the good. Only the heart is the righteous. Only the most difficult is the spiritual. That, that's not true. No, it's a life of attentiveness. It's a life of hearing and, and listening. And then following where he takes us. It's also not a life of, of boasting and self-exaltation. Of pursuing the adrenaline rush of, of spiritual heroism. That's just self-reliance, or a different form of self-reliance, where we, where we flex our spiritual muscles and say, look how much I trust God, and be able to look at other people going, like, you're either lazy or you're a coward. That's not a life of risk. That's a life of pride. That's a life of self-reliance, but that's not a life of submitted, surrendered risk. And a life of risk is also not a life that risks in order to be acceptable to God. That, that Lord, if, 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 I, if I do this thing that you're inviting me and calling me into, if, you're, if, I, if, I, if I follow you this time, well, then, then, then are we good? Like, am I acceptable now? Like, can I be forgiven for that thing over here then? Or can, we, can we do some kind of a transaction? Am I loved now? Maybe I can be loved now. That's not how it works. That's not a life of risk. That's not what risk means. But it's also not a guarantee that to choose to step into the things that God is inviting us into, to take risks, faith-filled steps of courage in light of what he said is, is, is not a guarantee of success. John the Baptist found himself declaring to Herod the reality of Herod's adultery. He took a risk in calling things what they were, which is the job of a prophet, and he lost his head for it. So it's not a guarantee of success. We've been, as a staff and a team, working through this concept for multiple months now, and, and elders and some of the leadership team, of uh, the women's leadership team and others, and 
I had one, one person that, that was, had felt really drawn to and called by God to have a conversation with, um, with an insurance broker that he'd been working with for a while. And so excited about having a gospel conversation with him after multiple times of together. And so we prayed and talked. We were excited about it. And he came back and reported that it went terribly. Like it was awkward. It went flat. It was like, yeah, I'd like to talk about anything but this. Like, oh, wait, that's not how it's supposed to work, right? I mean, if God's calling me into something, it's going to be great, right? No. Life of risk is not a guarantee that there will be success or that it will even go well. It's a life of faithfulness. So how, how, does, this, how does this work? As I said, it's... Um, Moving towards God as he speaks to us and then sends us out, as we allow him to, to, to tell us and to call us into, is, is a life of, of listening. It's a life of response. The Christian life is a life of response. To be a Christian is to be, is to be one who responds to what God is moving towards us in, right? You understand that, right? His grace moved towards us and we respond to it. His word moves towards us. We listen, receive it, and we move towards him in obedience, in hope. We are responders. He is the great initiator. That's how it works. And so in this, he is the one who moves towards us, and we listen to him. What, what that means is, is perhaps you're in a place where you're going like, you know, I don't know that I know his voice. Jesus says, you know, my sheep will know me, and they know my voice. They will recognize my voice. Those are the ones that belong to me. So, so maybe you're one of those people that's like, you know what? I hear, pe- I, I hear people talking about hearing God lead them, but I, I actually don't know what that looks like. I, I mean, I've pretended because I'm supposed to, you know, with church people, but I actually don't know what that looks like or what that means. And I just want to say, if that's you, like, it's, it's good timing. Partly because the greatest and maybe the first risk for you or for any of us who are kind of going like, that's kind of a mystery to me about how God leads me and how I respond to him is that our, our, for this next semester here, at the beginning of September, we're going to be launching two equipping courses. One is a, a prayer lab, which is going to be about learning to listen to God and, and be able to respond to him in prayer and to be present with him as he speaks to us. And, and then the other one is, is a Bible study boot camp where we're going to take the word and help us understand how to learn and hear what God is telling us through the scriptures. Learning to hear and Learning to hear, learning to receive and respond, learning to receive and respond, and two, the fundamental dynamics of how we walk and grow and move with Christ. So, so if that's you, or if you're going like, I'm a little rusty, it's been a minute, or you know what, I just need some refreshment, then the Monday nights may be actually a really good night for you. It may, may be an opportunity for you to move closer to the heart of God in ways you never have. And candidly, it may just be a risk for you by going like, I, I'm supposed to know by now, and I don't want to be the person who doesn't and shows up in the room. You know, fake it till you make it. Let's be courageous people. Let's step into the places where we actually need God to change and grow and, and move and transform us. And so we, so we listen to God, and we're going to spend a year listening to God. And we've got a tool that you're going to use to be able to listen to God with that tool. And, and then we're going to move out in faith. We're going we're to step out. We're going to ask for accountability. We're going to ask for help. And we're going to tell each other stories of how it went awesome and you wouldn't believe how God showed up and how it went terrible and you wouldn't believe how God showed up. 
because that's actually how it works. You see, it's risk because you're not sure how it's going to unfold, but, it's, but there is a guarantee in this. And this is why this is so significant. This is why this is formation. This is how we become these kinds of people. This is why, this is why we're moving this way is because regardless, as God invites us to move and we listen to him and we move out, regardless of what happens, we discover one thing and that we're tethered to him. That he's got us that he loves us, and that that can't change regardless of how much is at stake. Because here's the thing. Real risks are things that have real things at stake. If, if it doesn't require the, the life of Christ alive in you to take that step, then it's not a risk. It's just being. But what... what What's, what's fascinating, of course, is that what's a risk for you, Dan, is not the same as what's the risk for you, Will. Those could be totally different things. Yours could be something that Will's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't require a ton of faith for me. Because, but it, the opposite could be true. That's what we've discovered through this time is. Got all excited and left my notes. The guarantee is that we will experience the grace more deeply, the grace and the love of God. That is the thing that cannot be removed. And I would venture to say that it's the thing that gets activated when we live like this. When we listen and we move and we listen and we move and we listen and we move. And sometimes the move is actually not moving. It's actually sitting and stopping. Listen to what Paul says. He says, you're going to experience the grace of God and the love of God as the surest thing. In Romans 8, it's of course the most amazing passages in the scriptures. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's answer is no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this. That neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is the promise that enables us to move and from which we move into whatever God is inviting and calling us into. It's from a place of faith in the fact that we are tethered to him. And what's fascinating about the Christian life is that most of the time, the tethering of the love of God around us, a friend of mine uses this metaphor all the time, the tethering of the love of God around us is not something that we feel until, because it's, you know, it's the love of God. It's present, but it's maybe loose. It's not super clear, but, but when you step out, you know, Indiana Jones style, you know, and you, step and you're not sure what's going to happen, you discover something about God, that that love, that tethering is true and real and unshakable, and it changes you. It changes me. It makes us the kind of people that will believe that that could be true regardless of what he might have for us. See, the unbothered, unencumbered life is a life that says, I want to stay as far away from that as possible. Give me lots of rope, lots of rope. I want none of that. The faith-filled life, the life that moves into the reality that Christ is calling us into a, a, a vibrant, exciting, uncertain world to be not only his emissary, but to be formed in him through that. 
we discover what we've longed for all along, and that is that we could lose all things and that he has us. And let me tell you, until we know that he is all we have, he will never be all that we need. But when, when you find out that he's really all you have, he becomes all that you need, and then this becomes uninteresting, and, and we step into things that we never thought we could be possible. And that's how we become the kind of people you want to be, the kind of people that are really alive. This is what, um, it's my final Piper quote, I promise. On the far side of every risk, he says, even if it results in death, the love of God triumphs. This is the faith that frees us to risk for the cause of God. It's not heroism or lust for adventure or courageous self-reliance or, or efforts to earn God's favor. It is childlike, childlike faith in the triumph of God's love that on the other side of our risks, for the sake of righteousness, God will still be holding us. We will be eternally satisfied in him and nothing will have been wasted. That, that's what you're being invited into this coming year. That's what, that's what we've been practicing and kind of learning and is to become the kind of people who are going to learn more about this tethering to God's love as we step in faith-filled steps of courage with God and what he's inviting us into. And so what we've done is we've created something for you. We've created this, this risk card. It should be on all your chairs. One side it has some, it says taking faith-filled steps of courage and have some explanation on there. But on the back side it says identify my risk. And this is, this is the tool, one of the primary tools we're going to be using this entire year as individuals, as families, and as community groups. What we've done with this is we've, we didn't want to leave some vague notion of like, hey, just listen to God about what might be. We want to actually provide some rails that you start listening to God with. And so, so for us, what we've done as a team and as, as families and as individuals is we've taken these components and we spend some time just praying through them, asking God, okay, Lord, of these things, is there anything out of this that you're inviting me to move into? So you just listen, pray, and go through and listen and pray. And what's been amazing, what's been surprising, or maybe not surprising, is that something always emerges. Even for a short amount of time, even a five-minute session, of the thing that God's been actually whispering in your ear that you're really maybe a little too distracted to hear Suddenly, you're quiet, listening, and boom, he goes, yeah, that. Let me give you an example. One of the things that, one of the, one of the things that's on there is pray for someone in the moment, right? That's one of those, one of their, um, one of the options or one of the, the directives. And um, we were sitting, talking through this, spent some time reflecting, and as I was reading through it, just like it popped off the page. And what's, the reality is, I know you're thinking this. I'm a pastor. I should be able to do kind of all the spiritual things, you know, like a ninja who knows all that's throwing stars. And th that's not how it works. Like, ironically, I actually have a hard time praying with people in the moment. I, I, I'm more than, I'm, I'll talk about the mess you're in or the challenges your life are going through or the pains you're experiencing. I'll talk about those all day long with you. I'll give you comfort, encouragement. I'll do all those things. But I have a hard time moving towards people and saying, I'm going to actually call on God to move towards you in prayer. I, I, I get nervous. You know what I get nervous about? What if God doesn't come through for them well? 
I'm, like, I'm putting God's reputation out here. Like, I can deal with my reputation. If, if, if someone feels connected and they feel loved, I can, I can almost more guarantee that. But I don't know if they're going to guarantee that they'll feel loved by God, that he'll, he'll meet them in that moment. And so most of the time, I'm like, I'll pray for you later. I know, I'm terribly unspiritual. And it's not that I don't. I'm willing to pray. I, I, I'll even text a prayer. But, but to stop and in that moment be all like pastory, because I also don't want to be that guy. And so it was clear as day. The Lord was like, listen, this is, you need to start risking every moment that you, th- you think about, I oh, should pray right now. Becky and I are on a walk and something popped up or we're in the middle of a fight and like, we should pray right now. It's like, I don't want to pray. But it's like, no, every time. So it was like, okay. Every time it pops in my mind, I'm going to say it. And wouldn't you know how faithful the Lord is? I mean, within like five days, there were like 12 opportunities. Including some here. Like at the end of a service, someone walks up to me like, listen, I got surgery on Wednesday. And I'm like, oh, I know what's happening right now. So I listened. I asked a couple questions. And then I was like, all right, let's pray. And I'm praying stuff. I'm like, Lord, would you, would you be nervous and scared about what might happen in the surgery? I don't like surgeries either. And would you meet him? Would he be comforted by, by you in a very specific way as he's all by himself and uncertain about what this might look like? And you know what's fascinating? After about two weeks of that, it doesn't feel like such a brisk anymore. And it doesn't feel like I have to muster up this sense of like, oh, what does it look like to trust God in this? Like, I, there's a presence with him, and he's faithful, and, and he's met me in it. And a couple times where I felt a little embarrassed or felt a little unsure or followed up and things didn't go well. <laughs> I was like, all right, Lord, you got me. If I look like a fool, I look like a fool. But you've got me. And you see, it forced my eyes towards him. It forced me to rely on him, that if I look like an idiot or if I, I come across like pompous or like too pastory or that he's got me, that, that God's actually in charge of his own reputation. I don't know if you're aware of that, but he's actually in charge of his own reputation. I'm not in charge of it. You see, what happened is that by stepping out and going like, I, Lord, you're calling me to do this. I don't really want to do this. I haven't done this mostly a lot of time in my ministry. I, I, uh, I started experiencing God's moving in me, and I, and I become a different person. You see, like, character is forged in me because I'm now trusting God to step out. I'm actually looking to him, not to me anymore, not to you to respond well or someone else to respond okay. I don't have to go like, man, Clark's really good at this, but I'm so bad at it. Maybe one day I'll be different. Now, he called, he spoke, I listened, had a bunch of people keep me accountable, and and off we went. And God met me there. That's what we're inviting you into. Not because it goes well every time, not because it's perfect, but because it's what God's calling us into. So this is the tool, one of the tools that we're going to be using this year, and we're going to talk about it a bunch in the coming weeks and months. And one of the, the beautiful things about how it's played itself out or how we've used it is, um, is that as one person has shared what God's put on their heart and how they've stepped out and how what God's done with it, and for good or for challenging, it, it's made other people do it even and step into those moments even though it's not what they were focused on. Even as though it's not the thing they kind of signed up for and said, hey, this is the kind of thing I'm hearing from God. It began to just move out and taking risks without signing up for the risks. It's almost like it engendered the kind of living that was a risk filled living, a faith-filled life. So that's what you're being invited into, and we've got a bunch of stories. We're going to be telling a lot of stories of what has already happened and ways in which people have connected and the way God's met and surprised and 
ways in which like we've fallen flat on our face. One of the, one of the moments I had was talking to one of the women on our, our broader team, and, and she was just talking about how she was a month ago, she said, I'm gonna, I need to ask forgiveness of a friend of mine. It was her birthday, and I just didn't go, and I'm kind of embarrassed. I you know, bought her a present to try and kind of make up for it, but it's her 40th birthday, and I kind of feel like I failed, and I almost lied to try and get out of it, and and so I just need, I need to I need to ask for her forgiveness for not having gone and, and just talking about it a little bit, coming to realize what was it actually at stake wasn't for her calling and asking for forgiveness wasn't actually the fact that she might have some tension in her relationship with her. That wasn't the thing. What was really at stake was that she said, I don't I don't want to be the kind of person who's who declares myself to be insecure, so insecure that I can't go to a party by myself. That's actually where it is. It's the shame that I'm that kind of person. I don't want anybody to know that. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but that's like, that's like heart surgery from the Lord. Like, I'm sorry, but anytime you can, from a movement, touch on shame, on the things that you don't want to be true about you, the kind of things that make you feel like you don't matter or, or no one would want you or you're not acceptable, and God wants to, you know who fixes that stuff? The acceptance of Christ. God wants to touch that. That's, that's how we're formed. That's why this process, we believe, is actually what it just means to be a Christian. Except we need some rails to kind of walk on that, and so we're going to do that together. Telling stories, encouraging one another in community groups and solo and every couple of weeks trying to think through, what, Lord, what else? What else do you have? What are the things that you're rolling and putting on our hearts and minds? There's a couple of... Um, so, let me just say, I'm so excited and I know I've been thinking and talking about this and, and wrestling with this for like three months. So I understand like I'm like a little bit further down the road on this. But I'm so excited for you all. I'm so excited for me. I'm so excited for our community. I just want you to imagine, imagine for a moment that every week or every two weeks, each one of us is taking one step of courage like that. We're, we're listening. We're taking a risk because God's invited us to, to tell the truth in the way that we wouldn't have. To, to go back to someone after we lied to them and to confess it to them or to... To, to give in a way that we weren't expecting to give or to ask forgiveness to confess something, to, to say no to something or to say yes to something, to commit to something. That, that as we take those steps that, that we're going to become more alive and we're going to be telling each other those stories and encouraging and it's going to stir us up to more and to trusting more of God and seeing more of him. Like that's, that's, that's the vision of what it means for us to become that kind of church. And, and it looks more like this kind of living. It's not under your control. But man, is it alive. And that's, and that's the call and the invitation that we have for you is to, is to step in, to trust God, to wrestle with him, to believe him. And, and imagining the kind of energy and the kind of shifts and the kind of stories that are going to be able to emerge here to the praise and glory of the name of Jesus because he's alive in you and in you and in you. And together, we tell of his praises. So there's a couple ways in which, so, this, so I'm, I'm stoked. I'm super excited. I believe that God has really good things for us in the weeks and months and, and even in this year ahead as we become more and more these kinds of people. Um, with all the excitement and the vision and direction, the things that we're actually wanting to see happen, the ways in which we're investing in making that happen, we're simultaneously in a time of our own risk and challenge. And one of those areas of risk and challenge is actually financially. Um, one of the things I want to kind of do briefly here is just invite you, <laughs> invite you into one of the risk places that we're at right now as a church. And that is um, 
as we look at where we've come from in moving into this new space and entering a new budget year, as you all know, this is kind of when we begin the new year fiscally and financially. Um, we have an opportunity to be able to fund this vision and mission and direction and future for our church. And it's exciting and it's really serious. And um, so let me show you a little bit of where, we, where we've been. This is this past year. This past year what God provided um, for us as a church is about $621,000. We spent 679000 That's obviously a negative 57 on the, on the math there. Um, our budget, we thought we'd spend about 718. So over the course of last year, we'd done some trimming and some shifting of, of costs, et cetera, uh, to be able to kind of cover for those, those elements. So, but that's, that's, still, that's still a deficit. That's still a negative. That's still serious. Um, as we've now moved into our first full year, we will be moving into our first full year of paying all the costs related to being in this new facility, not just a few months, uh, but actually a full concept of, of being now here and a full cost. Costs are increasing on the, uh, on the facility front. So let me show you what this is, some of the shift we have for this year. So we've, um, the, the, the facility increased costs just by paying rent, et cetera, here, is about $63,000 gonna go up from last year. That's just facilities, okay? Literally, just facilities. What we've done is we've gone through the budget, and we've cut about $39,000 out of the budget, and that's from personnel to literally every single category in our budget, operational budget, has gotten some form of cuts. So now we're, we're about, it's about 37% of our budget is facilities, and about 43 is, um, is personnel. So that's 80% of our budget is just facilities and personnel, okay? Doesn't leave a ton of wiggle room with where we're able to move things around. So we trimmed about $39,000 off of that, which, which means that for this coming year, this is what we're looking at. Our forecast right now is we expect to spend about 742, that's, that's the budget, 742,000, almost 43,000. Um, it's about tw almost 24, that's $2,000 or more per month for this coming year from last year. So um, this is how we distribute the way in which we think about how we're investing into, into ministry, into areas from mission to, to kids, to worship. And that's the distribution of the use of our facilities as well as how we invest our personnel in those areas of, of life and ministry. This is how we're wanting to see the life of Christ stirred up in one another, the, to accomplish and live out our mission. That's how we're investing it percentage-wise of that particular budget. But there's a gap. There's a, there's a tangible gap from where we are. And, you know, when we, we were moving from the cottage school, from, the car, from, uh, from Hembury Springs, there were a lot of unknowns. You talk about, talk about God sending us on a risk trip. It was like, okay, well, we're moving forward, and God has good things for us. We're going to go ahead and cross the, we're cross the Jordan, and we're going to go into this new land, and, and we'll see what happens and how God leads us. And God's been super faithful. And God's led many of you to be incredibly generous. But I, I want to invite you into a very tangible, personal faith-filled step of courage, and that is that we've got some, we got some space to make up. We've got some tangible gaps to overcome here. And so I want to ask you, if you're, if you're I want to call you, I want to invite you to take risks financially with, with what we're in need of in, in order to accomplish the purposes of God. We're, we're going we're gonna to continue by faith to move forward, but if, if, you, if, you, don't, if you haven't given yet, if you're, if you're someone who experiences the goodness and the grace and the, and the care and the comfort and the training and the and the growth of Christ in our midst. If this is your home, we want to invite you to participate and to give. You're, you're needed. Like, your gift matters. So come along. Enter in and join the journey of so many of you that are faithfully and have faithfully regularly given. If you don't give regularly, like, start giving regularly. 
Be someone who's trusting God because, and this is what's going to happen, right? If you're going to start giving regularly, something's at stake. It's going to be a risk. The things that you would otherwise have gotten or received or done, or you're going to have to trust God with that, right? You have to trust God that he's going to either care for by providing more or he's going to, he's going to care for you in, in different ways. So you're invited into that risk. You're needed. It really matters. These are serious times for us. We've got, we've got some things we're working through, but we, um, we are here and there's much at stake and there is so much ahead of us that we're deeply, deeply excited for. So let's do this together. This is not my church. This is not the elders' church. This is our church. This is a church that belongs to Jesus Christ of which we are a part of, a good, beautiful part of. So let's be a part of it together. So we choose to risk with God in this particular way. But secondly, today as we leave here, I want to invite you to risk potentially in other ways, whether it's to commit to the kind of community that maybe you haven't before, to enter, like commit to some people that you, maybe you've had bad experiences in community or the last time it fell apart and you just don't want to give yourself anymore and to, to trust God again. If he's inviting you to, to have a committed set of people that are going to walk with you, that are going to challenge and encourage you, to take that kind of risk. To take a risk maybe to serve in ways you never would have thought of before, to, to give yourself away. One of the things will be, you know, on each one of your chairs, you have the disconnect and serve. The entire middle section here is ways in which you can be a part of giving yourself away to one another in service. So what does God have for you? L- listen to him. What, what is he saying to you? What is he calling you into? What opportunities is he wanting to invite you into to give yourself away, to maybe stretch you to see his faithfulness in your life? And maybe the other way to risk is, like I talked about Monday nights, is let God equip you. There are ways this fall, and you can see it in the, in the brochure there, there, that we're investing in allowing marriages to be strengthened and challenged. We're, we're challenging people to understand their calling better and more intentionally, where we're inviting you to the scriptures and to prayer and to mentoring. Some of you ladies in particular this fall as we launch the, the mentoring uh, training and to be mentored, to actually trust another woman with your heart, to trust that you can actually be of that kind of impact on someone else. It's time to risk for many of us. I want to invite you into that. Here's the thing. As we come to the table, as I said, the, the, the way in which we're able to risk, the only way we're ever able to risk, the only way we're able to trust God to step into the things he's inviting us into is because he's gone before us. It's always the case. You see, you see Jesus, didn't, Jesus didn't go at the risk of his life. He went to Calvary at the cost of his life, and it wasn't a mystery to him. From the foundations of the world, he knew that he was heading to Golgotha for you and for me. And it's because that's true that whatever he's inviting us into, he declares, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear and do not be dismayed, for I, the Lord, am with you wherever you go. You see, this is what this table tells us, is that he's with us wherever he calls us into, wherever he's going to invite us into, he's going to be there with us along the way. And that's, that's the promise that we have at this meal every single time. It's why we come back to it every single week. You need to be reminded that wherever he's inviting you into, he goes with you. And because he's tethered to you, you become a different person. 
So I pray and then invite you forward to receive the body and blood of Christ, that you would know the love that is unshakable, demonstrated by his body broken for you and his blood shed for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Undeniably, you have made a way for us to trust you. You have declared once and for all that that you are trustworthy, that we can depend upon you, that the love of the Father for us is not dependent on our behavior, on our actions, on some kind of ritual or ceremony, but is based solely on the work that you accomplished on our behalf. And so today we want to we want to receive that. We want to allow that to be the truest and most powerful and most exciting things about our lives, that, that you have us, that you are with us. So Father, as you, as you invite us this coming year into, into trusting you as we listen to you, of, of taking steps of courage because we trust you and believe you, would you, would you infuse us with not only joy but perseverance and hope? Would you like infuse our community with, with stories of transformation, of becoming new and freer people that, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has brought us out of darkness and into the light of his glorious son? That's what we want to be a part of. And, and Lord, we ask that you would do so in, in meaningful, tangible, practical, courageous ways in us. So we thank you for this table, for what it reminds us of. We thank you for Jesus, and we lean and trust in him alone for all things. It's his name that we pray. Amen. If you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. So come and receive the grace of Christ through his body and his blood.